0: I'm Scott Gentry from Brave New Coin, and I'm with Norbert. How are you today, Norbert? Yeah, very well here. We're live from the Team Z Blockchain Summit today. And we're here with Travis Kling from Ikigai Asset Management. And uh, welcome to the land of Ikigai.
1: Gentlemen, th- thank you for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> You've
0: uh, been to Japan most recently, what, in,
1: in January, is that right? Yeah, this is my third trip in the last year. So uh not not quite a regular at this point but love it here um, love the Japanese culture I think Tokyo is probably the most impressive city I've ever been to in the world if you, you know I tell people if you think if you think New York's a, a, a pretty crappy place before you go to Tokyo try going to Tokyo and then you realize they got more people than New York and it's so clean and so quiet and so organized and so just well put together. I love it here.
0: So. In spite of the background. music, but,
1: uh, oh, oh. but it is also
0: cherry blossom season and you are here just before the new Reiwa era. Are you familiar with the Reiwa era? I don't think so. Oh, okay. That's going to be the name for the new emperor. Ah, yes. yes. Okay. We're, we're just leaving the uh, Heisei era. Okay. As of May 1st. Got it. So, anyway just this, this stuff about uh, about Japan it's obviously you've got a, a Japanese name for your company ikigai I've heard you talk about that in the past what the origin of that was I haven't actually heard how you came up with
1: the exact name yep can you just where, where did you hear this so I, ca- I came across the concept um, just just randomly in an article months before I even left point 72 didn't even wasn't even thinking about I was starting to go down the crypto rabbit hole, but I wasn't even thinking about starting my own fund um, at that point. And then fast forward probably six months and I was uh, at an ICO conference in uh, Cayman Islands in February of 18. And that was right when my now partner Timothy Lewis and I were really starting to circle up around like we should really think about doing something ourselves. and. Um, uh, one of the presenters at the ICO conference that the Venn diagram that people kind of you know, if you Google Ekey Guy you see this sort of Venn diagram and uh, it, it was in it was in that presentation and uh, you know so it like sort of rej- rejiggered my, my, my memory and I was like, and then because I was sort of like thinking about you know starting a, a crypto fund, just right then I was like, oh that'd be a great name for a fund. So um okay. it, it It has, the personal significance of it is, um, you know, so the Venn diagram, if you Google it, it's what you're good at, what you like to do what the world needs, what you deserve to be paid for. If you get all four of those things, they say it's finding your Ikigai. They say one of the reasons why people in the Japanese culture live so long is because they have this this sense of purpose through Ikigai that's introduced. And you know, whether you're the CEO of a billion dollar corporation or you're sweeping the floors, if you can find purpose and, and meaning in your life on, on the day-to-day basis, it's the kind of thing that helps you get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And f- you know, personally for me, I, I had a career in... in uh, hedge fund investing, and uh, you know, I like doing it, I was pretty good at it, I made a fine living doing it, but the world doesn't need another hedge fund manager, and if the world doesn't get another hedge fund manager, the world's going to be just fine, uh, but the world does need this technology, and this technology is a platform to go drive societal change for the good, so, so I felt like taking a skill set that I had developed through my career and something that I, I feel like I'm pretty naturally like. There's a lot of things I'm not good at. A whole lot of things I'm not good at. I'm a pretty analytical guy, and I have a tendency to sort of veer towards economic logic. So um, well, let me let me ask you that because you know I've, I've
0: seen some of these videos that you've done with um, uh, you know whether it's interviews or, or whatever, and and I used to work in, in the securities business. And the way you sound, you, you've, you've kind of you talk almost like a trader, but your logic is very much investor-oriented. Mm. So, what is the what is the say decision tree mm. that you go through? And I know you've talked about data, use of data processes, building tools within the process. But what is um, what is it that actually gets you to the point where you decide you're
1: either going to punt or run it up the middle? Mm. That's a great question. So, so it's, it's probably worth mentioning in, in my background. So, so I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I wasn't a trader. I've never been a trader. Right. Um, yeah. I was. A, I was a but I mean, you you, yeah. you you talk like one, but you your actions and the way you do things,
0: you sound um, much more like an investor. That, that's just my.
1: Yeah. Opinion. Yeah. So, so so I'd say my, my background is in investing. Right. Um, at you know at Magnetar we were not traders. And uh, the frequency with which we turned over our book by hedge fund standards was pretty pretty low. Uh, that certainly accelerated materially when I was at .72, but like, I wasn't a day trader. Like like and, and in fact, I personally was not the trader. I had a trader that was on my team. So if I wanted to go buy a million dollars worth of ExxonMobil, I wasn't actually in the interface executing that. I would message my trader that I wanted to go buy a million bucks worth of ExxonMobil, and then he would actually execute the trade. Um, so so I think um, stepping into crypto asset investing and seeing how, I mean, it has very much a currency-like sort of nature to how you invest in it. You know, you know I, a technical analysis, (TA) was in my prior career path was really just like the the sprinkles on the the couple sprinkles on the very top of the cupcake because you know the, the 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 cake part of the cupcake was like you know sort of you know, deep fundamental analysis uh, of, of, of the industry that I was investing in and understanding, you know, the entire landscape of, of oil and gas and energy as a whole, you know, and maybe the icing was, um, you know, company specifics and understanding idiosyncratic really well and things like that. And, you know, the cherry was... You know, whatever understanding global macro and a more quantitative risk management aspect to it, TA is just like not—it's not that big a deal in, in equities. But then I kind of stepped into this arena, and it was like, okay, well, people are paying a lot of attention to this. And and uh, you know, after going down the rabbit hole for a few months, it was apparent that it, it it does have an effect on things. And so, but also the data itself
0: really doesn't have the type of history that you would have, say, in the equity market or the foreign exchange market, which in some cases you can go back to, what, tulips, I guess, right? Yeah.
1: I I, I, I think, to get back to your original question, I think that um, right now on a short-term to medium-term basis, you do not get paid for fundamentals, investing in crypto, trading in crypto, whatever you want to call it, having exposure long or short to crypto as an asset class. You don't get paid on fundamentals. For example, fundamentally, Litecoin is a shitcoin, and um, uh, it it, it is, uh, for all intents and purposes, not a viable project. Uh, The number of active developers contributing to the GitHub has gone from 40 in 2017 to three. Um, But what it is, is a a highly manipulable coin. Um, It is uh, uh, very closely held. There's 63 wallet addresses that own at least $10 million worth worth of Litecoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, and and, and uh, you can't short it at an institutional scale. Um, so too few people own it's, way it's, too it's, much it's, of it. It's rife for manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. And so fundamentally, it's a great short. And mm-hmm. if I was short Litecoin year-to-date, I just got completely run over. Mm-hmm. Completely run over, right? So, like, you, you, you know, I think... Mm-hmm. One of the hardest parts about being a portfolio manager in in any asset class is knowing the fundamentals and knowing when to ignore them. Mm -hmm. That's hard. It's really hard to do. It was hard to do in my other job. It's hard to do in this job, but um, you know, therein lies the opportunity, I guess. Well, you kind
0: of touched on something there that uh, I've I've heard you in the past, you're sort of critical of of some of these um, Asian algo traders that do a lot of wash trades. and this was probably going back six months ago. And since then, particularly in Japan, we've seen some some changes to the regulatory environment. Some revisions have been put into the new securities law or, or the proposed security law as well as the uh, overall crypto laws. So do you, um, have, have you been following that? And how do you think that could potentially affect some of the, some of the, um, Asian algorithmic trading practices that I think a lot of people from the outside look at this and, and, and realize it's really not good for good for the environment, not good nope. for our market. Uh, we're trying to to spread this out to as many people as possible. Yep. Uh, so, where do you? What's changed? Has anything changed? Yeah,
1: yeah it's, sh- it's short time preference actions yeah. uh, to the detriment of the long term health of the ecosystem. So I think uh, specifically to Japan, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm dialed in enough here on the on the, the nuances to speak specifically to Japan. Broadly speaking, um, there's been positive developments on that front. Um, the market, uh, there's been a, a number of research, uh, you know, papers and blog posts and analyses and things like that coming out uh, about. Uh, how much wash trading happens on certain exchanges, and there there has now I think been a, a real bifurcation of uh, where people know there is a, a lot of wash trading in, in, on some exchanges, and they know that there's you know less or none on other exchanges, and uh, I think that was that was punctuated by this. Um, uh, by the Masari with the, the, the Bitwise report that came out a couple weeks ago and the, the True 10. Is that what they're calling it? Do you see that? Yeah, so the, the True 10 basically saying that like this is the volume number that you need to be paying attention to. And you know this the, the volume numbers reported on CoinMarketCap are um, uh, such an inaccurate representation of what's actually going on in this ecosystem. And people have bang that drum now enough that and i think coin market cap is is, uh, is is probably starting to take notice um and i would i would be hopeful uh that they will change their practices unclear if that's actually going to happen you know i wouldn't i wouldn't bet on it or hold my breath but um uh, hopefully they uh they understand that people are starting to, to see the ecosystem's understanding this a lot more and they're realizing that coin market cap is, per- is perpetuating this, this belief of wash trading, but um, specifically for, um, you know, algorithmic market makers in the context of uh, providing liquidity, air quotes, liquidity uh, for tokens on reputable exchanges. Um, so that's still happening. Um, specifically, if you've been paying attention to what's going on on Binance's launch pad, um, so you've had, Three projects launched there now: uh, BitTorrent, Fetch, and Seller. Um, if you invested in those three IPOs, you're currently up. I think it's uh, six, six point three, three point three, and two point nine times your money from ICO price. Uh, you realize those gains, you know, in, in the, the immediate gains. You realize multiple times your money in, you know, a couple days. Um, and then we've done sort of in-depth order book analysis and it's apparent that the, by the, the, the depth and the stickiness of the order book uh, for those three um, that they're being heavily supported by market makers and uh, we know that CZ keeps an inner circle of uh, market makers close to him and it's highly unlikely mean, it's highly likely that he is uh, uh, providing those market makers' tokens, uh, highly advantageous terms, free or deeply discounted, to provide liquidity for those Launchpad names. And so what, what, what CZ has done, in, in true CZ fashion, is he he has entered into a social contract with um, Launchpad participants. And that social contract is, if you invest in an ICO on Launchpad, you will make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you will make money in this fun, gamey, gambly type of fashion that um, uh, Binance clients uh, really enjoy. And so he's cr- he's recreated th- this own little 2017 little mini ICO mania, um, but with this backdrop, with the, or, you know, with back- backstop rather. And, um, you, know, <laughs> you know, you can say what you want to about the... The uh, legitimacy of that, uh, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, whether or not that's that's beneficial to the long-term health of the ecosystem as a whole. But you know, he's domiciled in um, Malta, and he has the Singaporean sovereign wealth fund that's an investor, you know, in Binance And you can just play different types of games when sure. that's where you're at relative to Coinbase, which sure. just can't do shit like that. So. Yeah.
2: And so from an institutional money perspective that you're representing, right? even on the Binance website there isn't a registered address and so you've seen Binance fleeing China, stopping over in uh, Tokyo for two months, I think, before they went to Malta and then you have these easy pictures in Bermuda shops and all this stuff, right? As a personal investor, I'm uncomfortable putting my money into that platform. Is what happens if things go wrong? Yep. From an institutional perspective, can you afford to be out of that game where you get 3X, 6X kind of returns? How do you manage that, that conflict?
1: So, so specifically with investing in launch pads, so the, for example, the seller ICO, you're capped at, uh, so I don't know if, you, so the way that the seller works is you tried to, like, they open up the, regist- the, like, investment period, and then everybody races and sort of clicks as fast as they can to invest, sort of like when, like, a new pair of, like, uh, uh, Air Jordan shoes, like, are released by Nike, and you sort of race to see who can, who can you know, you want to buy the shoes, right? Um, and so they've all sold out in, like, uh, Fetch AI sold out in 22 seconds. Uh, I think seller sold out in, like, 15, 20 minutes. Um, uh, but you're capped at a $1,500 max investment. So it's not really something from a specifically like art. Is Ikigai going to invest in seller at the ICO? It's not really sort of math that we do. There's enormous liquidity once it's opened. And so we can take our view on, you know, whether or not we want to be playing in that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think in terms of, uh, being on Binance, um, again, you, you know, you would certainly like it to be, uh, you know, I'd say we're, we're very cognizant of, of what our balances are at any given moment on Binance. Uh, and we're cognizant of that in a way that, uh, uh, I would say we're, we're, we have a different set of sort of, uh, risk management parameters that we put around Binance than we do around Coinbase, for example. Um, and uh, uh, in terms of hacks and things like that, I think they have industry-leading security. I feel confident about that. They also, and this is important as well too, have made a tremendous amount of money over the last... Uh, they're coming up on two years in July, I think, which yeah. is crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Maggie launched yeah. in July of 17. Yeah. Um, and so he's printed it, right? Yeah. And, and so he is... If, if a hack does occur highly uh willing able and incentivized to make uh customers whole on whatever hack happens to keep the the golden goose laying eggs and that's not nearly as good as sort of like actual insurance you know you'd you'd like them to be domiciled somewhere that wasn't malta but um but i do take comfort in that And, and 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 i think you've seen the market start to realize that that uh you know, take Huobi, for example, right? They just recently had you know small hack on EOS, but like the, these these reputable, profitable, or at one time profitable uh, exchanges, big exchanges, you know, they'll announce a tweet where they got hacked, and in the same tweet they say we've made everybody whole, right? So there's that kind of social contract. I think the same. I, I feel the same way about BitMEX as well, too. Um, BitMEX is insurance fund. It's got like. I haven't looked at it recently. I think it's it's north of 150 million dollars with Bitcoin in it. Like it's like, got a really big. That's just the insurance fund. That's never mind the hundreds of millions in profits that Arthur's printed since you know over the last 18 months specifically. So sorry, what's it? Arthur uh, Hayes. Arthur Hayes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So is is it sustainable? I mean, if you if you look at classic securities exchanges and so on, this must be a compression of margin at some
1: point. And oh, yeah point
2: going to happen
1: yeah yeah you're seeing that for sure which is why you know every exchange is uh, you know trying to launch their own token yeah I think I think the American exchanges that don't have their own token are at a significant disadvantage yeah. relative to the ones that do because you can just do I mean look at look at what CZ's done from a, a BnB token value accrual perspective year to-day I mean the guy is on a for doing things that are valuable for BNB. And, uh, you know, I think he's entered into with BNB holders, I think he's entered into a social contract as well there too, which is sort of like, you can trust me to run as hard as I can possibly run in as many different directions as possible to do things that is going to make BNB token valuable. And that means that you can go buy, you can book plane tickets and hotels and BNB. You can buy a house in Australia with BNB. Um, I'm going to set up fiat exchanges in as many different jurisdictions as I can, and the only gateway is going to be through BNB. You're going to, you know, if you want to be on launchpad, you're going to have to. Um, uh, you, you know, you have to hold BNB to participate on Launchpad. Um, he's launched his own BNB chain. He already talked about he's bringing eight ERC twenty tokens onto the BNB chain uh, or the Binance uh, chain. The Binance chain is going to be faster than, the, and you know, you're not going to have gas problems the way that Ethereum has gas problems. Um, and you know, all of these things that are that are beneficial to, to the the value of, uh, of uh, BNB as a whole. So. You know, it's 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 no wonder at all that BNB's up. You know, I think it's up two hundred something percent year to date. Uh, it's nineteen dollars this morning. Yeah, I think
0: January was four bucks or something. <laughs> four bucks, I think it was. So yeah, um, not a not a bad uh, not a bad run. Um, it, uh, I was looking, and I, uh, on Ikigai, and I noticed that um, you also have a publication, an educational. Kana and Katana. Kana and Katana. Yeah. Now um, the logo is the the brush and the sword, mm-hmm. and um, I haven't had a chance to go into it yet. But I was wondering, what's the, if you could give a, give us some insight as to what you're expecting to accomplish with Kana and Katana? Sure. Um, what the what the genesis of that was sure
1: yeah um, great question glad you brought it up Kahn and Katana Japanese for pin and the sword um, words and actions right. um, as you can tell we're a pretty big fan of Japanese culture sounds uh, like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, why don't you open an office here we that I would love that and I, you know I would consider that a long term goal of Ikigai for sure yeah. um, specifically with with Khan and Katana um so, so maybe taking a step back, one of the most refreshing things about being an investor in this space relative to traditional asset classes where I came from is how uh, open the community is mm-hmm. and how uh, conversational everybody is. And we're all trying to crowdsource the truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in my old line of work, uh, you know, some of my closest friends were, were money managers, guys I've known 10 years, and we would talk all the time. But we didn't specifically talk about sort of the manner in which they went about trying to make money or the manner in which I tried to go about making money because it was treated as a trade secret, right? And, and we certainly have trade secrets as, as well, too, and, and 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 sort of alpha generative things that I don't want to talk a whole lot about. But I talk to hundreds of investors on a daily basis. Um and, and the, the sort of most thoughtful folks in this space, we, we have clumped up together to try and sort of crowdsource the truth and, and instead of trying to box out other investors um, uh, uh, that are trying to crowd in, you know, crowd your returns, everybody in this ecosystem ha- has a, a general feeling that um, if we can get this thing right, if we can build this right and um, uh, figure out how to Uh, capture the potential, the incredible magnitude of the potential of this technology, we're all going to make a fine living. And it's going to be fun. Like, everybody's going to be great. So you don't have to be so selfish and hedge fundy about about all this sort of stuff. So with that being said, um, we think that the the model for investors in this asset class is just going to look different than it does in traditional asset classes and, and one of the main things about that is going to be education mm-hmm. and uh we talk a lot about uh being shepherds of the technology i feel like i'm obligated guys obligated my partners are obligated to tell the world why we think this is so important and why we think that it's going to be a tremendously big deal over the next couple decades and so and so you know we're not going to stop that educational process, and uh, and we want to figure out the best sort of uh, venue to do that. But but then you you also have to be careful as a, as a fund um, that's you know actively raising capital. You have to be real mindful of regulations around general solicitation and what you're talking about, about fund specifics and things like that. So in order in order to sort of separate those two things, Ikigai the fund, and you know Ikigai uh, the trade name for a, a group of, you know, advisory and consulting businesses that are, you know, run by Travis Kling and Timothy Lewis and Anthony Entman, um, that wants to tell the world about all the exciting things that are happening here from our own unique perspective. We've created Kana Katana and, um, you know, having, you know, a number of different, uh, um, you know, information that's put out there on a regular basis. Um, Something that, that we have, have not uh, pu- publicly put a spotlight on is I write a monthly update letter that goes out the first of every month to um, current potential investors. Uh, um, I've had a lot of people ask about that. Um, uh, so we've started putting out on a one-month lag my monthly update letters. So I haven't really told the world that it's kind of out there. They're tremendously in-depth. They're about... 3,500 words each, they're, they're real meaty, um, but they, they, they're on Khan and Katana. And then the other thing that we, we did re- tell the world about that got like in- incredibly positive feedback was the Valuation Depot, um, which is a collection of, um, you know, what, what we consider uh, the most impactful sort of work done to date on fundamental valuation for crypto assets. And I think for people that are not super close to this ecosystem, uh, a lot of those people would say, "Oh, there's no such thing as fundamental valuation for crypto," and and we we think that's just patently false. Um, and uh, uh, it's a nascent field of study, but it's also incredibly fascinating and. Uh, we've made significant strides. And uh, there's a bunch of proprietary stuff that guy has that, like, we're probably not going to publish or we're not going to publish anytime soon. Um, but what we've done is, is because I've spent, and look, my whole career was in valuation. Like, sure. pr- like, starting from the time I was 19 years old, I took my first upper-level finance class my junior year in college, and I pretty much just have been valuing shit since then. Right, did it in a bunch of different asset classes. Did it up and down the capital structure. Did it highly liquid things. Did completely illiquid things. Um, and so, its valuation is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and so, I've poured over uh, uh, the material that's been written on fundamental valuation, and it, it was incredible to me that there, if you if you just Google crypto valuation or Bitcoin fundamental valuation or some. You know, combination of words like that. There, it, there was no depot. There was no central repository for all the different interesting things that had been written on this. So, we, so we wanted to provide that to the ecosystem. And I talked to all these guys—the the, the, the Kritz Bernitzkis of the world, uh, Willie Wu, Murad, David Pule, Nick Carter—all um, these guys I talked to you on a on a regular basis. They're they're doing fascinating work, and so this is just a a depot of that to kind right. of give to the world and, and, and we hope it's a big resource for everybody.
0: You know, I noticed you mentioned uh, uh, your college days and I know you went to Texas A&M. I was just looking at um, CNBC and I noticed there's a 196,000 uh, gain in the uh, non-farm payroll. Has Johnny Manziel impacted that
1: at all? <laughs> oh. No comment on Johnny Manziel. I don't even keep up with that guy anymore, to be honest with you. It was uh, I was living I was living in Chicago uh, when he won the Heisman, and living in Chicago and going to Texas A and a and M was like sort of like the other football school in Texas that wasn't A and There wasn't UT to most people, sort of in the Midwest, and then obviously sort of Manziel brought sort of. You know, big time national prominence. Too. He put it on the map. He really yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of old A and M guys that would take Disagree. exception with that. But I mean, yeah. the punchline is we sucked for a long time before he before he came there, which was yeah. like when I was growing up there. We sucked most of the time. We, uh, anyways, it it, uh, it was really embarrassing to kind of have him bring such a spotlight to where I went to school, and then. Um, uh, you know, have him flame out in, in extremely public and spectacular fashion. It happens. Um, it happens. But I'm going. I'm going back to. I'm going back to A and M in a few weeks uh, to go see my family, and I'm meeting with A uh, uh, and M's endowment, and also speaking to like a couple hundred kids in the business school about crypto, which I'm like really, really excited about that. Norbert sitting here. Yeah, listening. Lost, lost a German with like <laughs> U- U.S. college
2: football. Here. But Johnny football is still still rings a bell. Uh, Johnny um, Fo- Wow,
0: that's impressive, Norbert.
2: I wanted to like on on that uh, kind of analytical framework and, and the approach to research. You, you seem to have a very differentiated view on kind of based on the in-depth analysis that that you've that you've done. I think we had like Tommy Lee coming through here a few months ago does this twice twice a year because he got the research part Von, von Strat Tomlin yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know Tom and, and so I wouldn't say that I don't know him enough to say that's like his, his main thrust of research but he was trying to make a point to say that if you look at consumer goods companies in the 80s and you put your money in the top 100 and you look at internet companies in the late 90s early 2000s you put your money in the top 100 you would have made fortune yep. regardless yep. right and so the argument was a bit obviously to say if you take the top 100 coins and you put your money in now and you look 20 years later you will have done fine yes. anyway and it's kind of it's a bit the dumb approach or the the, the low effort type of in investing yep. um is that something you would see as as well is it simply not intellectually kind of rigorous enough
1: for for your approach good question so, so I think what you're referring to is kind of the the, the beta value creation of, of crypto and like crypto is gonna be the best performing asset class over the next 10 years I mean I'm like highly, highly convicted of that um, uh, you know it, it looks like it's gonna be the best performing asset class of 2019 uh, and uh, uh, you know when you take into account even the tremendous drawdown of 18 you know if you loop in 17 or 16 like you can pick a bunch of different sort of look back periods and it has sort of been the best performing asset class um, you know so so you know people ask me a lot like how do how do regular people how should regular how should just you know, people get exposure to this asset class. Um, people that aren't super wealthy and things like that. You know, if you're an accredited investor, I would tell you, put it in a fund. Um, I'm biased, but that's what I'd tell you. If you're not a accredited investor, I think the, the, the Bitwise uh, index fund, I think their minimum investment is like 10000 I think. Um, and uh, that strikes me as a great way to get exposure into this. Or I think, you know, Coinbase has the sort of, that weekly buy mechanism. And I think you can spread, I believe you can spread that out across the names that are on Coinbase. That'll give you some diversification. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, fundamentally, I'm fundamentally pretty overweight Bitcoin. You know, I've been saying for over a year now that I think the, the value proposition for BTC relative to its status quo, which is gold is much more, uh, uh, it's much better understood right now than any other crypto assets value 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 proposition is relative to its unique status quo um, but uh, i'm not a maximalist um, i do think uh, money is, is the killer app for distributed ledger technology right now mm-hmm. um, and so i think in uh, uh, the total addressable market is, is enormous uh, the world's ready for it now you look at what's going on with central bank and government monetary and fiscal policy the world needs what Bitcoin is right now? Um, well,
0: there was a there was an article. Um, um, I, I'm sure it was in the American press. It was in the um, it was in the Japanese press here in the in the Nikkei, and um, it's basically Trump is telling Powell to uh, lower interest rates, Yeah. and he's talking about putting um, Herman Cain and Stephen Moore on the yes. Federal Reserve uh, board. Yeah. Um, I don't recall a president who has been right. so direct in telling the Fed what he thinks they ought to be, what they ought to be doing. Uh, he challenged them in, uh, I think it was in January, December, and basically said, "Don't raise rates again." And now he's actually coming out and, and seemingly very forceful, saying uh, it would be a good idea if you yes. actually lowered rates. Yeah. Uh, how does this enter into? Your thinking or your views, just to pick up on what you yes. had said. Did,
1: did you see Stephen Moore? Did it make it in the press that Stephen Moore was lobbying for his Fed position? By he, he was in the New York Times saying that if he got the position, the first thing he would do is, is, is demand a fifty bips rate cut. So he's the, yeah. he's hand waving to the president saying, "If pick you me, if you get me, me in, in here, <laughs> I'm going to lower rates." I cannot tell you how bullish that is for Bitcoin. Yeah, I I, I, I cannot tell you. Yeah. um Bitcoin crypto is a risk asset right um specifically Bitcoin though is is a risk asset with a specific set of investment characteristics yeah. that become increasingly more attractive the more irresponsible monetary and fiscal policy is uh, Bitcoin has gone through a, a number of different identities over the, the the 10 years you know it's like uh you know it's like you know, a kid in, in junior high, right? That like, oh, I went through this phase where I was like wearing baggy jeans and like, you know, whatever, like uh, a I Nirvana was a my <laughs> <laughs> um, I was uh, I, I didn't
0: go to school when they were wearing baggy jeans, but, you know, hard.
1: you know, but, but, but Bitcoin has gone through some identities and, and, and uh, you know, remember like two years ago when, you know, Bitcoin was going to go to the moon because it was going to let American, you could buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. Remember that? Yeah. Like that was, that was why we needed Bitcoin right? Because it just wasn't working in America to buy coffee. It's too hard, right? And that's that's obviously a silly concept. Bitcoin is a global, immutable, decentralized, digital, non-sovereign, hard cap supply store of value. Right, That's what Bitcoin is. And it is an insurance policy against the largest monetary and fiscal policy experiment in human history, which is globally coordinated quantitative easing while simultaneously running massive deficits on top of an increasingly untenable debt level. And that's that's not hyperbole to call that the largest experiment, monetary experiment in human history. That's, that is unequivocal fact. And uh, we've been going down this path now for 10 years, and uh, the Fed, starting in 2017, tried to get us... Uh, wean us off of, of the drug of cheap liquidity, started started uh, raising interest rates from obviously zero. So you're starting at a really low base uh, and uh, roll off the asset purchases and then start to start to actually roll off that balance sheet that had ballooned to four and a half trillion dollars or whatever. Um, and uh, starting in 2018, risk assets started rolling over one after another. And that was punctuated by the sort of dumpster fire Q418 that we had for all risk assets. Right. Um, And uh, that Q4 18 punctuation was punctuated by uh, Steve Mnuchin calling the plunge protection team on December 24th. And if you look at uh, a chart of just about any risk asset, that was the absolute bottom dollar of the meltdown. And uh, we bounced hard from there. Mm -hmm. And the last day of January, right? So so December 17th, j Powell. Autopilot. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, 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 J. is talking about um, uh, the balance sheet roll-off is on autopilot. And, you know, market really didn't like that. Trump's on Twitter talking shit. Yeah. Blah blah blah. I mean, market didn't like it. Trump didn't like it. Plunge protection teams called. Market rips back higher. All these other, all the other central banks start talking dovish. They're talking dovish. You know, people are starting to expect. You know, you've got a, a what's his name. Uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Drucken Miller, Stanley yeah, Drucken Miller, one of the best investors of all time. Right. He's, he's saying this is an enormous mistake. Uh, Jeff Gunlock sitting there talking about this is an enormous mistake. Um, last day of January, FOMC statement, complete dovish capitulation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, complete U-turn uh, from a tightening and uh, hawkishness and uh, you know rolling off the balance sheet to uh, uh, full accommodation by any means necessary in a decidedly dovish stance. The price of Bitcoin has not been lower since then. Yeah. That was the last day of January, February 8th, LTC ripped 30% in a day. Right. And we have not looked back since. That The, the market structure for crypto changed on February 8th, yeah. 10 days after that meeting. Yeah. And then J-PAL went on uh, 60 minutes on March 10th. Yeah. Uh, Confirm that dovishness, you know, in a sixty minutes type of fashion. And Is then, that the
0: one with uh, Yellen and Bernanke? Were sitting
1: beside him? Uh, yeah, I think that was a different one. I know oh, which one you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then March 26th, yeah. uh, uh, next FOMC statement, further confirmation. And then in the meantime, you've got the ECB, the BOJ, the PBOC, Reserve Bank of Australia, Canada, everybody falling in line. And, there, and, and, and there's a there's a spectrum of of uh, dovishness and, and all these central banks are sort of lining up because they can't be nobody can be too far away from from anybody sure, else sure. right and ECB's sort of the furthest out there because they're the most screwed right they're the most screwed oh yes um the euro as a currency is uh it's only seven years older than bitcoin I I actually love that. I know. That's I, an I, know. I, hadn't I, lo- I love that. that. Way, you're, you're that's, a, right. that's a great framework. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. The euro is seven years older than yeah. Bitcoin. What yeah. do you What do you really want to bet on lasting longer?
0: Yeah. What do you really yeah. want to bet on? Right. Yeah. It is getting to that point.
2: It's. it's a, I mean, it's a very bullish bullish view, obviously. And if you manage your risk well, as, as you do, you also think about what are the risk factors that ultimately could lead you to change kind of that bullish positioning? Is there anything that, that you see that possibly if this scenario evolves, that's kind of where I change my, my view and I decrease Bitcoin exposure or get out of Bitcoin completely? What what would that look like?
1: Sure. Um, so like I said, so crypto is a risk asset. Um, so, so to the extent that, uh, uh, you know, don't fight the Fed. You've heard that meme, don't fight yeah. the Fed, right? That trade's been working for a decade, yeah. over a decade now. Um, you put that trade on, it's, pretty, it's a really straightforward trade. Don't fight the Fed. Uh, you put that trade on over a decade ago, and you go play golf, you've made tremendously good returns. Um, and crypto is an extension of that. Uh, so to the extent that you start, you know, if central banks kind of tighten back up, Crypto, the, the market cap of crypto as a whole is going to go down. Um, you know, prior to the capitulation um, that you saw at the end of January from the Fed and echoed by the other central banks, prior to that, we thought 2000 uh, two thousand dollar BTC was totally on the table, right. totally on the table. Um, and 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 in my in my monthly update letters, I mean, there's a real there's a real clear cadence of like our bull, of, of of our bearishness and then. You know, they go out the first of every month. So then, Feb first, I said, okay, the Fed just did a thing, and this is a big deal for crypto. And then by the time March first came out, I said, okay, the, the, this market just started acting really differently because of, I think, because of what just happened. So, so J Powell put the bottom in the crypto market. Sure. So, so to the extent that, that they do some 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 things that uh, um, are are bearish for risk assets as a whole, crypto is going to be affected by that. So specifically for Bitcoin. You know, the tail risks there are, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm less concerned today than I was six months ago, but I'm still concerned about the uh, 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 how centralized proof-of-work mining is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the dirty little secret that Bitcoin maximalists don't like to talk about, right? Um, when you had uh, a Bitmain... Uh, prior to the Bitcoin Cash, you know, hash hash war hard fork, that yeah. whole situation that, that crashed the market in mid-November, you know, I thought it was I thought it was, you know, quite bearish that that Bitmain was as big and as powerful and as as seemingly not not good for the ecosystem as they were, um, and through that hash war debacle. The fact that Jihan Wu is no longer running Bitmo- Bitmain and that their significance to this ecosystem seems to have been materially diminished, and you know I don't know what's going to happen with B- you know, with ABC and, and SV, but uh, uh, you know all of the clowns that were involved in that whole debacle have seen their ability to affect uh, crypto as a whole materially diminished. That's that's deeply bullish. It's deep. It, it it is. It's deeply anti fragile. That's what's so fascinating and bullish to watch because it is so hard to find any anti fragile assets anymore because they've been so distorted by central bank. Uh, yeah. Quantitative easing—it's sure. in, in the same way that when an astronaut goes to space and isn't affected by gravity for an extended period of time, and they come back, you've seen those pictures before. Sometimes they get, you got to wheel them, they got to wheel them off in sure. a wheelchair yeah. because yeah. gravity is, is, has, has uh, done such a detriment to their muscles. It's the exact same thing with risk assets and quantitative easing, right. and uh, uh, Bitcoin—you know—that that that ability to kind of shrug off one of the, the what I thought was one of the large... Sort of negative aspects, which was you know Bitmain's prominence in the ecosystem, that looks to be diminished now. It's great to see that. Um, look, you can always. I, I'm trying to come up with other bearish things. For, no, for, I just for I remember point. when
0: the when the quantitative easing policy started. I can't remember if it was 2009, 2010, but I I do believe it was it was after uh, the, the Nakamura white paper had come out. And they were talking about. and I remember the night before the first the first round was going to be something in the neighborhood of five hundred billion. And I used to talk to a lot of uh, U.S. government bond traders yep. in Tokyo in my previous job. And my first thought was, this is not going to end well. Yep. Okay, uh, but their attitude was, hey, this is this is some uh, some money for the boys. Yep. In a lot of ways, so um, it, it it just didn't leave me with a comfortable feeling. Yeah. So. Anyway, I think we
2: started kind of with the social component, right where you said the, the world doesn't need another hedge fund manager, but the, the world needs this technology. So yep. maybe we end kind of with, with a question on the social side as well. So when you when you think about it, the programmable money, and I, I put this in the context of China, where you also have this, this social reliability score already. And if you don't kind of behave like the government wants. Then you're already not allowed to travel freely but once that money can be switched on and off in people's wallets there's really not much that prevents the government to basically switch off your money supply instantaneously and that's kind of there's a it's a Goldilocks scenario of cryptocurrency right which we talked about a lot but that's kind of it's a bit the horror scenario of what an authoritarian regime could kind of do with that technology and how do we, again, as a a global society, make sure we're getting to what's a good outcome and not the bad one.
1: Mm. So this is, so I use this term and and I came to this conclusion very early on in my going down the rabbit hole, like, like months before I left point 72 within the first couple hundred hours of research that I was doing. Um, this is part of uh, what I call the, the trust revolution, uh, which is a bit of a woo-woo term, uh, but I think it's really, really important. And, and distributed ledger technology and crypto assets are at the, at the absolute epicenter of it. Um, so when I when I was first kind of really going down the rabbit hole in, in summer '17, and sort of understood the the um, potential of the technology the next question i needed to answer for myself which was equally as important was it's does the world care about it Does the mm. world care about it
0: yeah
1: because i think there's a lot of uh, you come across a lot of what i call techno utopians that are in this space yeah. which yeah. are like these people that are like if we could just use the technology for it's intended <laughs> all these good technologies the world would be such a better place and and they're probably not wrong mm. but but they're that their stance on technology adoption like flies in the face of of, of human nature and the way that humans yeah. kind of work yeah. humans are like they're kind of sheep to yeah. be honest with you yeah. and i don't mean that in a detrimental terms it's just people get in their grooves they want to be comfortable they don't like change um disruption is like not something that most people want to sort of face on a regular basis so so i asked myself like Does, is the world actually going to care about about this stuff and and what i saw was um a set of, of social circumstances that had a common underlying current to them. And it was Brexit and Donald Trump even getting elected into office in the first place and, uh, Russian Facebook election ads and Samsung bribery and NSA spying and, uh, Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement and Cambridge Analytica and um, a bunch of other things. And there's there's a commonality across all of those, and, and it can be summed up as um, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. absolutely right. And um, millennials, in, power is derived from the barrel of a gun. It, mm-hmm. And 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 yeah, and uh, you can just look at surveys. And millennials feel this much more acutely than older generations. Yeah. Millennials are the generation that think all politicians are crooked, Wall Street is rigged, and big, big tech companies take my data and they do bad stuff with it, or they don't keep it safe, or they sell it and, and, and they make a lot of money, but I don't, I don't really get much in return for that. Um, and uh, the world is really beginning to recoil from that type of behavior. And you're seeing it time after time after time. Um, and uh, I think uh, younger generations are, uh, f- they feel this more acutely. And so as as that generation gets older and moves more into power, I think there's going to be a, d- a, demand for, um, a demand for, a demand for a better way to, um, uh, you know, be able to, uh, uh just democratize that because in so many of those instances the system appears to be so broken the political system in the United States is so obviously broken right now yeah. and um, uh, this this trust revolution is is part of it the, the, the definition of the word trust, is going to uh, uh, change drastically over the next, it's changing right now, it's gonna continue to change and it's gonna look totally different 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And the same thing with the word truth. Truth, the concept of truth is look at what our president does. With the concept of truth, right, and like, what is the like, what what example is our president? And like, you know, I, I'm not going to get into politics or whatever, but like, as you can probably guess, I'm just mostly a small government guy. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the guy has sort of like taken this concept of truth and, and warped it in such a crazy way. And in in the very near future, technology is going to allow we're going to have to change what truth means entirely because you're going to be able to take technology mm-hmm. and create a video of Travis that looks exactly like I'm saying things that I never I never said. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be able to take my voice and make it say things that I never said. Yeah. So we we have to we're going to have to figure out a way to to find a more reliable source of truth and and this world isn't going to let it come from centralized organizations because we've seen it fail too much. It's failed too much. Mm-hmm. Distributed ledger technology is the platform to go drive societal change for the good, to provide an answer to that, and uh, that's tremendously exciting, and that's something that I want to spend the rest of my career and the rest of my life trying to trying to push forward. So, wonderful. That's very a
2: very very good way to end this. So, thank you very much, Travis. This was our second Tokyo FinTech. Podcast with Travis Kling, founder and chief investment officer of Ikigai Asset Management. We're signing off from the Team Blockchain Summit. My name is Norbert
0: Dierke from Tokyo Fintech. And I'm Scott Chantry from Brave New Coin. See you soon. Thanks
1: a lot for having me.